Well, there's not a great fun way to start the show today <laughs> because yeah. Jimmy's had a rough time. You want to yeah. take yeah. it? Yeah, my, my dad passed away. I'm going to try not to get emotional because we're on video. But and it's uh, absolutely okay if you do. Yeah, no, I know. I appreciate it. You guys have been so good. So thank you for your kind notes and uh, talking about you two, but everybody else as well. So my dad passed away on Sunday. I guess that would have been November 26th. He went in the hospital one week earlier. And if we go back one year, I'll tell a little bit of the story about how we got here. Um, one year ago was the day after Thanksgiving. We had a family get together. We do these formal, uh, sorry, we do these informal get togethers with my family where my cousin Jimmy, uh, this is the Irish side of my family. My cousin Jimmy will invite everybody to meet at a, at a, a brewery or in this case, we all met up at the Rockville Center bowling alley. And I picked my dad up that morning and it's an informal, like not a, complicated dinner situation it's just hey let's just get together shake hands hug and have a beer kind of thing and this was that day and it was a day after thanksgiving it was about 30 or 40 cousins and friends and family and and i brought my dad there who <clears throat> was right in his neighborhood so i drove out picked him up and while we were there he kept having a little bit of difficulty he kept having to go to the bathroom and then um i realized he began to kind of say things that didn't make sense but i didn't know that at the time i would was thinking he was talking about things I just didn't know about. And he became a little obsessive about where his keys were. And then he needed to go home. And so I took him home. And we, me and my siblings laugh about this. It's, it's sad, but it's silly. It's sad, but it's funny. Um, <clears throat> he wanted to change his pants. So we went in this bathroom and he was in there for a long time. I kept talking to the door, daddy. Okay. He's like, yeah, I'm fine. And then he comes out of the bathroom with his underwear on the outside of his pants. And I was like, is this how you always dress? I said to him, I said, you guys could giggle. I mean, I know it seems silly to say this. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just getting dressed. And But he said it so matter-of-factly normal. I was like, okay. Hmm. I go, what? Your pants, your underwear, he's got his boxer shorts on the outside of his pants. I go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just putting on clean clothes. I go, yeah, but do you realize what you've done? And he goes, yeah, this is what I always do. And then I was like, okay, something's wrong here. Hmm. And so my sister showed up, and this was one year ago. And it was that particular. So my sister showed up, and she said, Dad, put these pants on. So she, like, went and got a pair of pants. She's like, put these on. And she, like, shoved them into the bathroom, and he came out dressed normally. And uh, <clears throat> we started talking to him and saying, what's going on? And he started talking about things that didn't exist. And he started talking a little bit of gibberish, and he started obsessing about – he kept wondering where his keys were. And they were right there. And like, these are your keys. Like, these aren't the keys. This isn't, this isn't the keys I'm looking for. And so we started to realize, okay, this is the beginning of dementia, is what we assumed. And rightfully so. We didn't want to leave him. We had all gotten together that day. It was the first time we had all been together in a while in the same place. You know, we all have our own locations. And it's very rarely that me and my sister and my brother Joseph and my dad are all in the same place at the same time. And so we looked at each other like, what do we do? We can't leave him alone. We don't know what to do. So, and he started declining that moment. So we took him to the hospital and we stayed there with him till five in the morning. Turns out he had a UTI. And when older people, elderly people get a UTI, a urinary tract infection, it messes with their brain chemistry. And that's what was going on. Took some time to figure that out. He's pretty healthy otherwise, because he always goes to the doctor. He always has 
his cholesterol, everything checked. He's he goes to the he's a veteran of the Navy. He was in and out of the Navy just before Vietnam started, so he always uses the VA. He has a relationship with a couple of VA doctors, and they always make sure he's okay. So, all right. So we went through this, and then it happened two more times throughout the year. If he gets a UTI, and then his brain chemistry gets messed up, and then. About a month ago, my sister took him to the VA, and she says, he can't drive anymore. And, and another funny story, I was driving with him about two weeks ago. I knew he was declining, so we would try and spend more time with him. So two weeks ago, <clears throat> I was with him, and he noticed that my rearview mirror on my car was crashed. Somebody had crashed it while I was parked. And he said, did you do that? I said, no, somebody hit my car. He goes, And he smiled and giggled and goes, I hit about 10 of them in the last few months. I was like, you're not supposed to be driving. And he goes, well, don't tell Kathleen, because my sister is the one who enforces that rule. And each one of us were like, did you take his keys yet? Because we'd all see him sporadically, and, and <clears throat> nobody took his keys. But thankfully, he didn't have any major situations. But he giggled and says, oh, I smashed about 10 rearview mirrors in the last few months. I was like, you cannot be driving. And he like sheepishly smiled and was like, yeah, I know, I, I won't drive anymore. Like lying to me that he's not going to do it. Because I only go down the block. I only go to the doctor or whatever, his dentist in the neighborhood. <clears throat> and so last week at Fast Forward, so he had a couple of those episodes throughout the year. And he was slowing down. He had double knee replacement in his uh, 70s, in his early 70s, late 60s. And so he was having a hard time walking. He never did have to walk with a walker, but he would just walk really slow. And... We said, uh, um, oh, so cut to last week. My brother John has a friend that lives in Long Island and went to visit my dad to say hello. And he called my brother John. He said, your dad is not doing good today. You should really send somebody to check on him. So John called my sister in New York from California. And my sister called the neighbor. And the neighbor didn't get over there until two hours later. And the whole time we're calling his phone, he wasn't picking up. My sister was out of the way, wasn't wasn't in the area. The neighbor found him laying in his living room, somewhat lucid, but he was having like a really bad, again, another episode. So they took him into the hospital that day. This was Saturday last week. And, and that's where he stayed. And he developed pneumonia right away. So he, he might have had a little bit of pneumonia while he was there by himself in his house. That and the UTI. And the, the doctors just kept, giving him all types of first sedatives to calm him down because he was getting very restless and then also uh, uh, medication. And so he was awake on Sunday and a little bit of Monday, half three through Monday, he kind of went to sleep and he never woke up again. And that was basically it. I saw him Wednesday and uh, <clears throat> we had some family stuff on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, just in various different places. And my sister and my brother were going and seeing him, and they kept saying, don't drive all the way down. It's He's the same. He's just sleeping. He's not improving, and he's not declining. And so Saturday, uh, we made a plan. We were all going to meet there and spend Sunday with him there at the hospital. And my sister called me Sunday morning and said he passed away in the middle of the night. And I know it seems really tragic. Obviously, it is tragic, but he lived to be 84 years old. <clears throat> And we knew the next step was going to be talking to a social worker about where to put him if he was going to go into a home. And, you know, that is a pretty, it's a gut punch because he's not the kind of guy, even in the hospital, even while he was, <coughs> sorry, 
even while he was incapacitated, he was trying to pull at his wires. He didn't. He was looked like he was kind of having a, a nightmare, like in the beginning, and then he finally slowed down. But he's trying to pull at his wires. I could. We were laughing like what, he's in a nursing home. He is not going to be told what to do. He cannot be sitting still. He's not going to be able to be told what to do. And uh, so we dreaded that. And you know, and like I said, it's kind of a godsend that we don't have to go down that route. But that's the that's the story and. He's going to be 84 on December 3rd. And uh, he was, uh, my brother Joey said it, and this might make me cry. Joey said he was never a womanizer. He was never a drinker. He was never a lie. He never told a lie in his life. All he ever did was help people. And so Joey said, this is, he's old age is getting him. He's not, you know, this isn't karma. This isn't anything. It's just old age. And that's really all it was. It's just, it was his time. And I'm glad for the few times we got to spend together most recently. Me and Rachel went to go see him about two weeks ago. And that's when he told me about the broken windshield, broken side view mirror. And while we were having lunch, I could tell he just was not himself, but he was he was himself underneath this facade of this very, very elderly man. And uh, I just turned my camera on, my little pocket camera, and I just set it on top of the salt shaker, and I just filmed him for like 20 minutes. And it was really the last time I got to see him was that day. And I'm glad that I filmed him. There were several moments in time throughout this past year that we were driving in my car and I had my dash cam and I turned my dash cam around and filmed the two of us talking and driving in the car. So I'm going to maybe put together a couple of clips of that. You know, if there's anything funny and interesting, you know, usually it's stuff that (laughs) nobody can see because my dad had a very free way of telling everybody his opinion about things. Um, So, I'm going to try and do a couple of clips like that to see, you know, it might be funny to, to honor him. If, ones that I could show, but, uh, <clears throat> he, he lived a good, honest life and he just, he was in service to people. That's really all he did. You know, we, we jokingly called him, <laughs> we jokingly called him the work. He was a worker bee. So he was like a worker ant. Like he could not stop. Like it, even he, He's talking about it. It's really funny. We cleaned up his backyard a little bit a few months ago. <clears throat> we got rid of a dumpster full of stuff. And he was really good. He was a hoarder. If you knew my dad, you knew he... And I say a hoarder. I'm not joking. I mean, he was a hoarder. His backyard and his house is packed with stuff. Like, the health department's been involved. So that's why we decided to get a dumpster. And he was really good about letting things go. And he lived in a house that had a lot of trees around it. And... <clears throat> He always had leaves and acorns, and then these these giant birds from the ocean made a nest in one of the trees, and so there was like these huge bird poops all over his yard because he lived kind of near the near the ocean in Oceanside, Long Island. And so while we were cleaning up his yard, I must have threw away twenty five different leaf blowers that he he would buy this brand and try it didn't work so he'd buy that brand and try it he didn't like it he'd buy that brand and tried it and they were all electric 
they were all off brands, DeWalt, Milwaukee, but several off brands like, you know, Ryobi and all these other like, brands I didn't even know existed. He was buying them at like different stores and they were all outside all the time. So they were all soaking wet and no good. Knew where the, who knew where the charger or the batteries were. So I must have thrown away about 20 different leaf blowers. And I just kept laughing and let him. And then I do the same exact thing. I don't have 25 of any one particular thing. No trucks. I don't have 25 trucks yet, but, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laughing going like I do the same thing. Uh, but, you know, I, I try to limit it to about four or five different versions of the same thing, trying to find the right one. But he was, uh, talk about being a worker bee. He was pre-programmed to just always think he was going to be able to do this and do that he's like i'm going to clean this up i'm like dad you're 83 years old you're not cleaning anything up you can't even walk his knees are both bothering him he's like no i'm going to move all that over there i'm going to i'm going to take i'm going to rebuild this and like i was just admiring his tenacity it's almost like he's pre-programmed to just not stop working which is why we say he's got the dna of a worker bee um <laughs> the other day we were talking and <laughs> this is going to make me laugh and cry my brother my brother Joey said <laughs> it made me laugh so hard when he first said it he we were just reminiscing about being kids and he goes we were like we were like his oompa loompas <laughs> he said we were like oompa loompas he had us always ready to work remember sleeping with your eyes open <laughs> always ready to go to work <laughs> so <laughs> we were his umpalumpas and thank god because <laughs> it really instilled in all of us you know a, a great work ethic and like i said in my instagram post you know he was he was always taught us to be helpful and he didn't really explicitly say you have to do these things you have to do those things you should have to be helped <laughs> He would just do them and we just, you know, just following along. Like that's what he did. That's what we should do. And he was always, we would all roll our eyes when we were kids everywhere we went. He would stop and talk to people and find out everything about them. And we would do, we traveled across the country when we were, when I was real little, I could hardly even remember this, but I do remember a few times where we were in the car and he's like talking to the gas attendant. He's talking to the guy at the, the five and dime store, just making friends, like just chatting up and just talking to anybody for any reason. And uh, I think all of us got that sense from my dad. You know, I could certainly find an interesting conversation anywhere you go with anybody about anything. So, you know, he's, he did, he did good. He did really good. And you know, like I said in my post, if there's anything, if anybody's inspired by me, it's 100% because of what he did with me and my siblings. You know, he took a special interest in me because I did everything he did. My brothers were a little bit more rebellious. Joey's particularly was very rebellious. They had a contentious relationship. Uh, my sister and I, kind of took more to the workshop. My sister, not so much is really when she went to college and she started getting into it. And then she kind of backtracked and, you know, would really share an interest in tools and handmade stuff with my dad. But, uh, with me particularly, I spent most of my time. I'm the one that spent most of the time in the workshop with him and learning and, 
And when my parents got divorced in 1981, I was 14, my dad had to move out. That was traumatic. But in hindsight, you know, despite my dad being such a caring, giving man, he was a little overbearing as a, as a parent, especially when I was 14. So I was brokenhearted that he had to leave the house because at that point it was really just me and my sister. John was off to college. Joey was in the Marine Corps. But he said, I'm going to leave my workshop for you. I'm going to leave everything in the workshop. I'm going to just take what I need for now all, until I build a new workshop somewhere. He said, you're going to keep everything in the workshop. He didn't take any of the tools. He didn't pack them up. He didn't put them anywhere. <clears throat> he didn't take them out of spite to spite my mom or whatever. He left the workshop for me and John, who would come back from college and use the shop. And <clears throat> I mean, it was amazing that he had that forethought to, he goes, you're using tools. You're not, he goes, you're still developing your skill set. He said, I'm leaving all these tools for you. He left me the, at 14 years old, I had my own radial arm saw, the band saws, everything. I mean, would you leave a 14 year old unsupervised with a radial arm saw? I won't leave my 16 year old unsupervised. <laughs> 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 The radial arm saw became mine. I mean, I, it's funny that I don't use them anymore because I just find them extremely dangerous. I really started using the table saw on my own. I mean, the only table saws that we had were just job contractor saws. <clears throat> I eventually bought one shortly after college. No, was I was in college when I bought it. I can't remember. I might bought one in like 90, 91 out of the penny saver, and that was the one that I ended up giving to Tim Sway, the one I ended up injuring my hand on in 2010 so it was 20 years later that i got hurt on it um <clears throat> but it's it just it, the forethought of this leaving me with the shop it's amazing i'm gonna mute and cough hold on but yeah thanks dad thank you for that i don't know i don't know what else to say at this point but yeah. I thought maybe, uh, you know, as a group, we could discuss, you know, what we learned from our dads if we kind of start a dialogue going back and forth. I'm going to make a video. I'm going to make a video uh, shortly. That's going to be the tips I learned from my dad, you know, and some of the phrases that I say that he says and how I learned them. So I'm going to start collecting throughout my work days in the next couple of days and weeks. I'm going to start putting together a list of things that I learned from my dad. So to honor him, I'm going to do a video about all the things I learned from him in the shop, small things, bigger things. And so that video will be coming up. I thought maybe today we could talk a little bit about some of that stuff. Yeah. I think one thing uh, it's, it's just funny. It, it makes sense that we are all, <clears throat> we are all derivative of the people that invest in us, right? Mm -hmm. Like we are, our parent, whether that's our parents or teachers or whoever puts time into us and stuff, we are a lot like them. And it sounds like you're a lot like him. I never, uh, I never got to meet him, but you know, as far as you, you mentioned him not being able to sit still at the beginning and then just yeah. always having like the best of intentions and always yeah. wanting to like have this list of things to do. Sounds a lot like Jimmy to me. And I think, you know, it's interesting. You're talking about like the leaf blowers and the trucks and I can see that in you. I can see that in me. I can see that in a lot of people who are looking for the improvement on whatever it is they're doing, whether that's like, I want to, I just want to keep adding skills or I want to keep adding 
uh, leaf blowers or trucks, or I want to keep adding the thing until I find the right one. And so the only difference in in the the path to get there is like once you find one that you really like, do you get rid of the other ones? That's the <laughs> that's the separation between the hoarder and the person who's just trying to really narrow in on. Well, you the know right what thing. I do now? This is funny. I I get my fix. I have. I look online at Facebook Market and I look at Chevy trucks and I go, oh, that's really cool. I go, that's exactly like the one that's sitting in the backyard. Okay. I got my <laughs> dopamine hit by looking at it and potentially right. thinking about buying it. I'm like, it's exactly <laughs> like – so yeah. I, I look. I look all the time. But unlike in the past where I would immediately pull the trigger and buy it, my dad had this sort of Terminator-like quality where he would just keep trying, just keep trying. Like he'd go to Harbor Freight and leave with like $400 worth of stuff he didn't eat and <clears throat> that he had – duplicates of i'm getting better at it is what i'm saying like i'm not i'm look like i like for instance I, I look at skill saws and drills and hammer drills and these type of things i look at them and I'm like wow it's cool i'm at home depot touching the ones that are attached to the wire and i look at them and i i go okay i got five of those i just put it back but <laughs> looking at the new one gives me that yeah. slight adrenaline rush yeah that i mean you get I, when I, you buy something new yeah, I, I can totally identify with that in a different way. Like, I've talked about how I collect toys. I used to collect toys. Mm -hmm. I kind of do here and there. But a lot of, I realized as I got into adulthood that a lot of that, the enjoyment I got from that was the, the hunt. It's like the, mm -hmm. there's a thing out there that's really hard to find. There's only a few of them, relatively few of them. And it's just fun to go be on the hunt for something. And then I would, <clears throat> as a younger adult, I would buy the thing. And like, yeah, like I found the hard-to-find thing, and I'd buy it, and I'd bring it home, and I'd be like, hmm, well, <laughs> now now what do I do with it? Do I, I put it in the box? I put it in the case? Do I open it? Do I sell it? Do I? And so I, I got to the same place where finding it was like, I found it. Now I'm going to put it back on the shelf so somebody else can find it too. And mm. I had the, that was enough. I realized yeah. that I was just following through on something and I didn't really need to follow through on it. I didn't need to buy it. And so now I've got a couple of friends that collect toys actively and they resell them and whatever. And it's actually a lot more fun to be their hunters, to be like, they tell me what they're looking for and then I just get to go find it. I don't have to pay for it. Yeah. I don't have to keep it, whatever. Yeah. But um, so, I mean, I understand that. Yeah. That feeling, you know, and it's actually a, it feels good to get to that place where you realize you don't actually have to have the thing. You yeah. just wanted to feel it or yeah. see it or whatever. So, yep. I remembered another story while we were talking about when I was in 10th or 9th or 10th grade, maybe 11th grade. I was in high school and I, I was never a great student. I told this story early on. I realized, when I realized that passing was 65, all I had to get was a 65. That's all I strove for. I didn't care if I got more than a 65. I recently posted one of my old postcard, uh, one of my cards, uh, what do you call that? A grading card? What do you get? When yeah, you, yeah. Report card. card? Report card. Yeah, my report card. And I was in elementary school, so I was a little kid, but it said that I don't like school and I don't work. I don't worry. I'm not great with others. And it's <laughs> like, is what it said. But <clears throat> I was always a little bit of a rebel. But in, uh, in elementary school, or rather in high school, they diagnosed me with all these things that now have initials. And they called my parents, and my dad got so defensive. And <laughs> this might make me cry. My dad got so defensive. He put together, and 
you know, these toolboxes that I always make, these, these, the one I made for Walmart. <clears throat> I made one of those when I was like 10 years old. And he, he grabbed it and he filled it with all the things that I had made in, in and around the house up till that point. It must have been about 15. And <clears throat> he, you know, he went, he, even though him and my mom were divorced, he would still come to the house and he put together all this stuff that I had made and the things that he had personally saved. And he put them in a toolbox and he brought them to talk to the guidance counselor to show that I'm not disabled. Well, that whatever they, whatever they try to say. I didn't, I wasn't even offended. I didn't even care. I was so detached from school. They can call me anything they wanted. I didn't, it didn't bother me at all. I kind of laughed at it. And, but he was offended and he wanted to show them that I had these certain skills and that I wasn't like other people and that, I'm not book smart, but I make things with my hands and all this type of stuff. And my dad, I remember the teachers were, your father's so proud of you. And, you know, the teachers were all like slightly offended by my dad, but at the same time understood, you know, where he was coming from and really did appreciate, you know, what he was trying to say and what he was doing. And because of that, actually, so I'm, I'm remembering this in time. Because of that, because he brought in all those things. I was in ninth grade. This is when it was, because I remember now the, the series of events. Because he brought all those things in that I had made, and he showed the teachers that I wasn't just an average kid who you know, was going to be good in English and math. Because of that, the guidance counselor said, maybe you need to go to BOCES and go to some sort of design hands-on thing. And so she showed me the curriculum for BOCES, which is the Board of Cooperational Educational Services, in Long Island, we had it, <clears throat> and it's where you would go for vocational school. As a direct result of him barging into the guidance council, like without without an appointment, just showing up and like like, like it's probably a scene from a movie. I really wasn't there, but I knew what happened. <clears throat> they suggested I go to BOCES, and that was why I went to architecture school. Oh wow! And it's wow. I didn't even like put two and two together. I mean, I'd always known that was the case, but it's the first time I've talked about it in forty years. <laughs> Um, that was why I went to, to architecture school. So from 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, the following year I signed in, my dad got me in architecture school. We did, we looked at everything. Do I want to be a boat mechanic? No. These are all the things this particular school offered. Boat mechanic, home restoration and carpentry, and obviously dental work, welding, machining, all these sort of vocations that are hard to come by these days. And architecture was one of them. And somehow with his guidance and with my curiosity, I ended up in architecture. And it was a great, it was the beginning of me learning about artists and learning about design and what design meant. And, you know, we were challenged with conceptual problem solutions in, in architecture school. And it was the first time. So from 10th grade, 11th and 12th grade, I spent half my day in architecture school. And it was coupled with math because there was so much engineering involved and I was really bad at the math. I had to cheat because it was all regents. It was re in New York State. I don't know if that's every in the country. I don't know. It was regents national. It must be, right? Uh, regents exams. Not, it's not here. No, not that I'm no, aware re of. Regents exams was like, I, I always kind of half paid attention to all this crap. But regents was like a state national. It was like a national standard. So everybody had to take the same exact type of math. So it was Regents 
geometry, physics, and calculus. And I just got more and more complicated and more and more detached from it. So to graduate high school, I had to pass this, my final regents in my final senior year for calculus. And I said to the kid in front of me, I was like, could you please do me a favor and let me cheat off you? I said, this is really just a survival tactic. I said to the kid, I go, I'm not going to, and he was friendly with me. He goes, sure. So he just like moved his elbow and I was able to cheat off of his, his, uh, his worksheet because you had to show work on like the yellow page. Like you had to show like how you got to the answer. And I, I, and again, for me, as long as I got past the finish line, 65, and that's, I got like a 68 or something to pass. So I was able to pass. And, uh, yeah, that's funny. I'm just remembering that in real time that that's how I ended up in, cause he, he came in with an arm full of all the crap that I made that was around the house, bandsaw, cut out letters and stuff. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, the reason I'm telling everybody this and is because so many people knew him, you know, he, he came to maker camp and so many of the fans really got to know him. And a lot of the fans that lived in around Oceanside would see him and talk to him and, you know, some of the fans that knew him would see him at the flea market in Belmore on the weekends and talk to him. And he was always so proud. And, uh, you know, he was always so proud that I spray painted my name on everything. <laughs> it was, he would always say, he would always say his father would be so proud if he was able to see all this stuff. Yeah. Hmm. His dad was my grandfather, who I hardly knew. He died in 1970. I was three years old. He was, he worked at the sanitation plant in Brooklyn and he uh, I'm trying to think I don't I don't I don't know any of the years but my dad was born when his parents were in their 40s my dad was in an accident so I've been posting some pictures of my dad with his siblings and there's one one in particular I don't know if I my my cousin posted it my cousin Jen whose mother was my dad's sister my dad's father my, sorry, my dad's brother was 17 years older than him, and my dad's sister was 15 years older than him, or 14 years older than him. So my dad was a total accident. And when he was growing up, all of his cousins were older than him because he was an accident. So all of his first cousins, all of the, the relatives, my dad's grandfather had a barber shop on fourth avenue in brooklyn and there's some some there's some of these pictures that said director on the windshield like it's on the window of the place painted in like gold lettering it was my great grandfather john and uh my my dad would say that they, all the cousins would get together on holidays at the barbershop and all my cousins would tell me that my dad was a little brat because he was the youngest <laughs> and every like everybody was done with kids they were all like teenagers and my dad was the youngest and all the cousins and all the aunts and uncles were done with kids. So whenever my dad wanted, they gave him like he, they let him like, instead of trying to teach him, they were like enough, just do you want that? You can have it. So my dad grew up a little bit spoiled. He grew up like a little bit of a brat. So that's why we always joke. And my dad had a fast temper. It was because he wasn't immediately being satiated when he needed what he needed. He had no, no patience for anything. And uh, all the cousins say it's because he was he, he was like a, a little brat when he was growing up, because everyone just gave him what he wanted because he was the youngest, and everyone's like enough already, just to, just give Joe whatever he wants, so keep him from crying. <laughs> so that's funny. Yeah. So that's it. I mean, I, so many fans saying so many 
beautiful things. And uh, the at the moment, I think it's pretty locked in. The funeral service is going to be December 8th at Towers Funeral Home in Oceanside, Long Island, which is his neighborhood. And uh, they told us so many people are already calling and asking. They said they told my sister has been in touch with them for the arrangements. And they said that uh, they said the phone is ringing off the hook. They want to know when the service is. So it's December 8th. If anybody lives in Long Island, they want to come and pay your respects. You're more than welcome to. Um, Towers Funeral Parlor, Oceanside, Long Island, December 8th. There's two, two windows, like I think it's two to four and then six to eight. He's already been cremated, so there might even be just an urn there or something. This, the reason it's a few days out is because uh, John, my brother John, has scheduling issues. He's got some medical stuff he's got to deal with, so John won't be able to come until then. So that's why we're just going to wait. And, um, yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, I could take a break from talking for a minute because I have anything sure. to say. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, this is a this is a strange place for me to be because you guys have both lost your dads, yeah, and I haven't. And I'm very grateful, you know, for that. How old is your dad, Bob? Um, I'm really bad with ages. Seventy. He's <laughs> <laughs> born in forty six. Seventy seven, I guess. Oh, so he's young. Yeah, still very active. Still. Um, great and doing lots of stuff he's over is he here retired all the time. yeah yeah he retired from dentistry quite a few years back um and they actually moved my parents moved from the house that i mostly grew up in um to a house down the street from us they live like three doors down now um in in this last year so they're close we get to see them all the time you know they they pop over and and see the kids and stuff all the time and so that is, that's great. Um, what does yeah. he do? What is he? He's, he's retired from dentistry. Does he do anything as a hobby? Does he play golf? He does or lots does he of make, stuff. He's, he he's always anything? making stuff. Like right now, he's repainting their entire kitchen in this new house. He's like taking all the cabinet doors down, making new doors. It's oh, all no kidding. Dark, dark wood. So he's making new doors and then painting all the cabinets. And he did the same thing in their last house, and he put right. down new floors. And Is he making videos? He should make videos of that. No, he talked about it. We were talking about it one time at lunch. But You should do, you um, should, you should make a documentary about him. I'm telling you, it'll, be, it'll yeah. be really important one day. You should do a documentary about him fixing something. Yeah, that's true. You know, Even if you never show it, you should just have it. Yeah. And he, he listens to this show. Um, my parents have listened to this forever, uh, which is really cool. They've always been incredibly supportive. Um, but yeah, he's like a, a Patreon supporter and you know, all that <laughs> stuff. I mean, so you sweet. guys have met him. Like they, yeah, they've come so to, sweet. like they came to the Boston event. They came to Boston for our 100 episode and they're always this at all so this stuff. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. But it is weird in that, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to still have him and, that, there's not 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 a guilt to it, but like it's hard for me to relate a little bit, and like I yeah. feel bad about the fact that oh, don't feel bad. You know, I don't feel bad that I have my dad, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like there's there's a yeah. difference in in relation to the topic. So, well, <clears throat> it's funny. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say something. It's well, I don't know. It's just it's it's. 
<clears throat> I don't know. I'm at a loss of words for the moment. Yeah. I'm just glad that, you know, it was really, it was really hard to see my dad not be the strong man that he wants to be this last year and him slowly slowing down. It's funny when <clears throat> the day we cleared out the backyard and the dumpster was there about a month and a half ago and we were throwing things into the dumpster. He kept going into the dumpster and taking certain things out. <laughs> but it was this, this is a caveat there. Not because he wanted them, but he wanted to give them to other people. Uh-huh. And he would be like, we'd just grab something and toss it. And he'd be like, and he, all of a sudden he's in there. And this is what I'm saying. It was the day I realized how feeble he was because he'd like try and step up into the dumpster. He'd have a hard time stepping up into it. And while he's in it, because this is when the whole end opened up. And then he'd try and climb in there and like get something. And, and my brother Joey kept yelling. He's like, get out. Get get out of here. You're going to get hurt. You're going to fall on a nail or something. Get out. And he's like, well, don't don't throw away the chair that can go to the neighbor. And don't don't throw away that stand and oh man if there's uh it was hard to see him like that yeah since you're you said your dad was a was a hoarder when you go through his stuff do you think there's anything that you can find that you'll be able to use as a uh like like a tool in 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 a future in a future video oh yeah no i absolutely i i well i said to kathleen and joseph my my brother joey I was like, we will go through the house, take the sentimental things. There's only, there's only, at the moment, there's only one tool that I know I want in the basement, and that's the Craftsman drill press that I used when I was a little kid. We got this old, it, it kind of looks like, if you guys know what I'm talking about, there's a thing called like an alien head mortiser. It's around that time, like in the 1960s, 50s, where Craftsman was making quality tools. And it, this particular style of Craftsman drill press. And, it has a smooth chuck. So I remember as a kid, slow, I watched my dad just grab it to slow it down. So I'm like, I'll do that. So I'd grab it to slow it down. And it had like a polished, smooth chuck that you could just grab and slow down. And I remember watching him do it and then being like, if he could do it, I could do it. And I never did get hurt. It sounds like I'm leading towards a story where I get my finger ripped off. But <clears throat> I always loved that. It was like a certain nostalgia. And even and then Dave, Bob said, um, Rob said it to me yesterday. He said, uh, he goes, in honor of your dad, we should fix up the band. So the one that he bought when I was a little kid, the one I still have, the one I use mostly all the time. And I bought a new bass for it. So Rob's like, let's put, let's take it apart and put it back together on the new bass. And so I might incorporate that into that video about my dad. But um, I want that drill press. And, there's a, and I know the minute I go down there, like I, I, there's so many tools that when we were kids, they were always on the bench. And... The minute I see that tool, I, I immediately rem- I remember seeing it for like the first time, or, or I might have even been with him and he bought it. And there's a pair of probably crescent needle nose pliers, and I have them. And I sent a picture of them to John. I said, "Does this ring a bell?" He said, "Yeah, those are Dad's pliers from when we were kids." Like, there's certain things that are like iconic in my workshop that have always been around. And I know when we go, I haven't been in the basement of his house in years because it's just full of junk. It's it's a crazy diabolical organized mess. Like it's like little tiny pathways, but it's just so much stuff that's unnecessary. I haven't been down there. We haven't been down there in so long. I it's been probably three years since I went down in that basement. But I know he's got seven band saws in the corner. He's got the radial arm saw that is he always used. He never liked using table saws. Um 
all kinds of, and then there was a wall. He he would glue up all the stuff that I would make and send him in letters and stuff. So all letters from friends and family and and you know mostly stuff from me and the, my siblings. This on these cabinet doors, so all like hot glued, like all the mem- family memorabilia. So it's going to be I'm not going to let that go. So we have his house. It's it's our house now, and we'll go through it slowly. There's no rush to get it cleaned up, but it's I don't know what we'll do with it, but it certainly has to be cleaned up before anything else happens to it. There's- so as we go through this stuff, we're going to find all the sentimental stuff. When uh, I was my dad's only child. So when he passed away six years ago, I just, I got the house and I don't think my dad was a hoarder like your dad, but there was a lot of stuff. Like the living room is just full of stuff. You know, there was no, there was just so much stuff and I had to go through and I had to figure out what to do with all the stuff. Everything was going to, there was going to be an auction for the house and then an auction for some of the the stuff. And since I was the only child, I had to go through all the stuff and it was, I didn't want help from anybody because it was kind of embarrassing of how much stuff there was. So this is out in the middle of the country. So I just had a big, I'd go over there every weekend and just burn a bunch of stuff. Like I, it was so much to deal with. I was like, I just need to get, I need to get this part of my life. I need to get past this because there's just so much stuff. And I burn a lot of stuff. And then the auction crew came and organized some things that could be auctioned off in, in groups and, and everything. And the, since you don't have a time limit and you have brothers and sisters, I don't think you'll have this issue, but there are some things like, I wish I would have saved this. I wish I would have saved that. But at the time yeah. I was just so overwhelmed and there was just so much stuff that I had to get rid of it all. And I just wanted to get past that point. So uh, just make sure you, you grab what you, what you want to grab. Because I didn't grab everything that I wanted to grab. Yeah. That's his kitchen. Showing you guys his kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff. It wasn't like that, but it was similar to that. So when I was growing up, we never had people come over to the house. Like uh, I always went to other people's houses because there was this embarrassment of how the house was, uh, right? Disorganization and just stuff everywhere, and so n- not many people have been have seen the inside of 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 my house. Not you know growing up, so I can I can relate to some of that. Look. There's yeah, the, I think um, the, the door to the kitchen. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> he always put notes and stuff. He never stops sticking things on top of things. I think you know part of it, and I, I didn't know either one of your dads, <clears throat> but thinking about my grandfather in a similar situation, where my grandmother passed away probably seventeen, probably longer than that, at least seventeen years ago, but probably longer than that, and. So then he was in this big house by himself for 12 or 13 years or something. And um, he eventually, you know, because like when when they were together, she was in charge of the house. Like it looked like she wanted it to look. She was great. And she had, she kept it up and everything. And then when she was gone, it 
over the years became only his space and not their space. And so this kitchen, for instance, like you were showing the picture of the kitchen there, the kitchen that we all came and ate meals in and stuff over time eventually turned into his painting studio. And I've got a picture similar to that one of like where our dining table is. And it's just this little desk surrounded by easels. There's probably <laughs> 10 easels with different right. paintings in different situations. And there's a TV in the corner and there's just paintbrushes everywhere. And there's, you know, and it was, it's the best light in the house. And so he decided this is my house now, whether he meant to decide this or not. Yeah. It, this is my studio. And so the kitchen was a secondary function of this big room that was then his studio. And and I think it's similar in that as you age and as you have a space that you maybe eventually don't have to share with anybody, it yeah. just becomes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this. And that means sometimes I'm going to stack up multiple things mm -hmm. and like keep, you know, really concentrate in this area. A real specific example is my, my dad was, when my parents got divorced, my dad gravitated towards a woman that we all knew, uh, Catherine. She kind of became my, for lack of a better term, my stepmom. They never did get married. But they were together for 25, 30 years. I don't know. I don't know. They, she passed away in 2010 of cancer. She was young. Catherine was much younger than my dad um, by like maybe seven or eight years. And but when Catherine passed away, she was very young. But Catherine was a neat nick, and the house that they lived in together was immaculate, immaculate. But then when Catherine passed away, slowly my dad's, she kept all my dad's crap outside at bay, basement and outside was his. Inside the house, all the living spaces, the bedrooms was Catherine's. They had to be in perfect, impeccable shape, always clean no clutter, none at all. Like she would throw things away. Like if he put too many picture frames, she'd like pull the picture out and throw the frame away and be like, no, put this picture behind that picture. It's the same thing. And when she passed in 2010, the house slowly became like all the junk equalized. And mm. it's exactly what happened. He basically made, I'm going to show you guys. Here's another picture. This is from about three years ago. He had broken his wrist. So he's got a cast on, but that's him in his shop. And there's hardly any room to move that's that's funny my grandfather's shop was like that too in that the the path the standing spot or the walking yeah. path was like just barely bigger than a person yeah you know you could like get to the front of a table sideways and then you have this like giant table and there were so many tables i'm sure his shop is his basement's probably the same way it's like it's so many tables so many shop lights hanging over all the different tables for different purposes and just like supplies and half projects and yeah mm-hmm yeah. So the, I honestly, I hold that up as an example to what not to do. You know, I don't mm. want to become like I really don't want to become the hoarder, and I I'm pretty good at emotionally detaching from things. I, I I remember when I about twelve or thirteen years ago, I was very emotionally attached to stuff, and nobody could touch my space. Nobody could be in my space. Nobody could disrupt where I left things down. And then having to share my shop with Taylor for 10 years and having to share my shop with whoever else, you know, certain assistants that helped me out. And of course, Aaron was the best of all time. Um, just always knew how to make the place more useful. I mean, that was a skill in the Marine Corps. It was just, let's take what you got, make it more useful and more available. Uh, but since 
I remember even with Aaron, Aaron's like, I hope you don't mind I rearranged this wall. I was like, I don't mind at all. I don't care at all. I, could, I used to be worried about where my intimate little details of certain things were going to be, but it's like, I really let go of the emotional strings on all that stuff. Certainly don't want anybody like fiddling about for no good reason. But last night I was working in the shop and Rob was, Rob, Rob has been staying with me. In fact, I, Rob might end up being my neighbor. We'll see if that goes through. That's what we were talking about a couple weeks ago. But if that happens, Rob's going to be my neighbor. And he last night he's like, you mind if I organize? He's like, not at all. <laughs> so <laughs> Please do. <laughs> I watched. I was kind of busy making the leather handbags. I, I, the leather handbags have been selling, by the way. I sold 10 of them last week, which is amazing. Wow, and if awesome. anybody's on the fence, they're going to be scarce. So you better get your leather handbag. Uh, so I was making leather handbags and Rob was in the background cleaning and all the little bits and pieces of wood that I would pick up and touch and go, I could probably get something out of this. And so I lean it back on the wall. I look back, half of it was gone. I don't know what happened to it. I don't need to know what happened to it. Mm-hmm. But if it happens while I'm not paying attention, the place looks incredible. <laughs> he fixed up the whole corner of the shop. It looks like I just moved in and like I haven't touched the tools yet. So Rob, thank you. But so, year, years ago, I would have been I would have been emotionally attached to all those scraps, those yeah. like, little cutoffs. No, you can't touch that. I need that. That's going to be something good one day. Just tangential to that. And this is yeah. a little little side quest. Um, I saw a, a thing on Instagram the other day that about a UCLA study that was talking about clutter <laughs> and how and I and I sent I saw this and it got my attention because I wanted to send it to my wife because. <clears throat> Our house is is cluttered. It's, you know, we have a big family. We have lots of stuff and interests, and so there's just clutter. And we do our best to kind of keep it in check, but we, we're we none of us are ever happy with the state of the clutter. Mm-hmm. And so the study was talking about how the clutter in the home, I can't remember all the details, but it was like clutter in the home versus clutter in, in uh, like a workspace or something, but how the clutter in the home is they like proved that it was stress inducing and that that stress is actually greater for a woman than a man and greater for a mother than anyone else. And mm. so it was it was just, you know, the way that they explained it was the interesting part, which I don't really have in my head right now, but it was interesting talking to her about I get completely overwhelmed by too much clutter, especially when it's not my clutter. Like looking at my desk right now which you all can't see, it's covered in stuff. It's all stuff that I'm Mine in the too. middle of using and whatever, but it's my stuff, and so it doesn't really bother me because I know it's here. But when I go upstairs and the rest of the family's clutter is everywhere, it, it, it's like I. Ugh. And if I feel that way, talking about this study about how much more it probably affects her than it affects me, I was like, whoa, <laughs> I'm really sorry <laughs> that you know. No, yeah, but it's all true. I have to say that. That they they did a study specifically on the stress of other people's stuff or just stuff in general and how much that can actually cause for you. But in your case, where you've got somebody coming along who's willing to like, they're removing stress from your life behind your back without you realizing it. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, you know, that's I, a I gift again, that you somebody's know, I, giving you. I, I Aaron was a godsend, and you know, I could cry at the drop of a hat thinking about him, but. Oh, he, he didn't like clutter. <laughs> he did not like clutter. And I would, my shop table has been a mess since he passed. 
my my work table at the other shop, which I don't use as much anymore, of course. I'd settle down at the big four by eight table behind the table saw. That was like my that was my throne and my sh- my space. And when I had to think, I sat there. I would come in and everything would be completely squared up, knolled, as they say, always be knolling, and all the superfluous stuff would be gone. I said, Aaron, I love you. I don't care where any of this stuff is. I'm just so thankful. I'm mm-hmm. like, he's like, if you need anything, just ask. Like, I'd be like, where is that nail puller that I was going to weld to a hammer for future videos? It's right here. Everything is, I know where everything is. So if, but it was like, it was, oh my God, it was just amazing. I'd come in and just the table would be just like absolutely perfect. And I, and I try to organize behind myself and I just can't do it. Yeah. I, it's always like, I'm going to like, I'm going to, oh, he, he, you know what? I'm going to use this hammer. I'm going to just put it here because I know I'm going to need it again. And I don't pick the hammer up again for three weeks, but the whole time it's in my way. So I'm trying to get better at using it, putting it away, using it, putting it away. So the legacy, one of the legacies my dad left was don't be a hoarder because I don't want to become what he became. And, and, and I, and I know, I know it. It's so in me. It's that obsessive, like, if you look right here, there's like, there's five Zippo lighters right here. There's five switchblades because I like switchblades. There's Bowie knives. There's string. There's string. I got like seven rolls of the string. As if I'm going to, as if there's going to be an apocalypse and the only way I'm going to save myself is this corded parastring. There's three calipers in front of me. There's a pile of hard drives right here. I'm so close to becoming that that I really have do to you, myself. But do you think that the awareness of that closeness is a skill, is a, is a it, not skill, is a benefit? Yeah. Is a strength? Yeah. Look, you know what? I'm going to show you guys this. If you're at home watching, when, you know, Aaron was definitely a hoarder as well, but he, he had a, like a controlled chaos. Aaron had so many of these little go pouches, like he'd have it like in his shirt or in his pants. And this is one, I haven't pulled any of this stuff out. This was on his desk, but it's got these various, there's seven, six inch rulers in here. Hmm. Is he going to need to measure seven things, six inches long at the same time? But, you know, there's a, there's a certain comfort level knowing like these things are around you. I could totally identify with it. 100%. And I know that's what my dad was, is constantly like, you sit next, you sit in the chair, the throne that he would sit in and watch Fox News in front of him. Right here he had everything to fix his hearing aids. He had a little pack of extra batteries for his hearing aids. And right here he had some streets for his dog. And right here he had, you know, he liked still reading the newspaper. So he had the pile of the newspapers and he'd read them all week long, even though they would be days old. He would still continue to read the old newspapers. He would read everything. All the ads. <laughs> it's crazy. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear about him. I hate that this is the situation that I get to hear about him, but it's yeah. it's nice to hear you talk about him. He lived, like Joey said, he lived a, a good, honest life. You know, he's like, this isn't karma from mistreating people i mean he had a temper and you know he has his crazy old italian ways but like who who doesn't have a dad that you know might lose his temper once in a while but he was a good guy and we wear out 
And he just, yeah, he just. That's what happens. We all, we all wear out. <laughs> you know. I I remember when his knees started going, and he he had a hard time going bending down. And I'm 56. He got his knees replaced in 10 years from now. So he was like 66, 67. So in 10 years from now, I can't imagine getting my knees double knee replacement at the same time. I told him when he was getting his knees replaced, why don't you add a couple of inches to yourself? I said, they're doing both at the same time. He's like, I don't, he's like, I don't know. Can I ask the doctor? I'm like, yeah, why not? If I was getting my knees replaced, I'd say, give me an inch and a half. Give me two inches. Why not? I don't see why they couldn't. He's like, nah, I can't do that. I'm like, no, I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> perfect opportunity. I mean, half the parts in there are fake, so why not just make them a little longer? My mom had had both of her knees replaced and both hips, so we call her the. She, she's like a half wow. a mom. There's only half of her left. <laughs> and is she is she mobile, good enough, or is she achy? Uh, she's achy. She's she's not very mobile. My dad always complained when he got his knees done. He never was like, "I'm glad I did that." Yeah. Yeah. But the consequence was he was always getting he was getting cortisone or what do you call it steroid shots in his knees all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Jenny's dad has had I think both knees and a shoulder replaced or something like that. But yeah, same kind of thing. It it fixed problems, but then never never got like full mobility back. You know, mm-hmm. my brother in law, who's actually just a few years older than me, maybe five or six years. Um is getting a hip replacement soon because I guess they said that, you know, down the road, if you do it now, it won't be that big of a deal and you'll be able to get back to 100%. If you wait another 10 years, you won't be able to get back to 100% after the surgery. So it's kind of weird that as a relatively young person, he's getting a surgery like that, but he's getting ahead of it for that very reason, you know, so. But... Well, you know, uh, thanks for sharing that. I, I don't want to belabor that. I don't want to force you to talk anymore about yeah. him or anything, but I'm really glad to hear. Um, no, I wanted to share because so many, and, like I said, I wanted to share uh, because so many people knew him. So many people saw him on some of the various TV shows. And, you know, I used to put him in the vlog when I did the vlog. So I just wanted who people who knew him personally got to know him and people who knew him through the screen. Just wanted to talk a little bit more about him. I mean, he, my dad was a New York City fireman. He got on, he was, in, he went in the Navy right after high school, and from the Navy he got out like '61, maybe '62. Like I said, just before Vietnam started, uh, he said he remembers hearing about the beginning of all that, and uh, he went, became a, I think he got appointed to the fire department in New York City. 62 or 61 so and he retired in 86 so i don't know 20 is that 25 years 24 years uh so he was a new york city fireman and most of the time he was a new york city fireman he would he he was a chauffeur so he would drive either the fire truck or the chief and there was a moment in time where he drove like the head chief of everything. Like he drove like like the main guy, like the most important guy or one of the most important guys. And he was always in Manhattan with him driving from like meeting to meeting. My dad would drive the – it was Hannibal Burris's. He, my dad would drive the 
the fire SUV. <laughs> Did you ever hear Hannibal Burris's bit on the fire SUV? He's like, what is it supposed to do? <laughs> He's like, is that going to be the whole bit of Hannibal Burris? If you know it, you know it. So my dad would drive the, uh, and the, what was interesting was it was really the first time my dad got cultured outside of Long Island. My dad grew up in Queens, Rockaway Beach, and then moved to Long Island and never traveled. He never wanted to go anywhere. Never went to Europe, never was interested in it. But when he started traveling for the for the chief, driving the chief around the city, he would go to Chinatown. He would go to Little Italy. He was in all these places all the time. And he actually started, he, he took a he took a huge, uh, he had a, he developed a huge love for Chinese food, but not just eating it, but making it. He bought a wok and he went to classes to learn how to cook Chinese food. There was a moment in time where we, everything we ate was cooked in a wok <laughs> because he would go to the sea. Like he got culturally exposed and it was pretty amazing. Looking back now, I'd be like, oh, we're going to eat out of the wok again tonight. You know, <laughs> but it was pretty amazing that, you know, it goes back to his sense of curiosity. He was always curious. And then when he retired, he just started doing carpentry work and that's what he did. He was a hired carpenter. He never wanted to be in charge of anything. He just wanted to hire, be hired to do the work, get a day's pay and leave. He never wanted to be in charge of insurance. He never wanted to be in charge of guys. He never wanted to be in charge of the client. He, although he did small stuff like I, I would do. But when it came to like big construction sites, he would be like the main Finnish carpenter. And he would have guys working with him, but he was never, he was never in charge. He wanted to just show up. He had a truck full of stuff that he had could solve every problem with his truck full of stuff, and he could leave. And when he went home, he never had to talk to the client. He just, that's what he liked. He wanted to keep it easy. He always wanted to be able to just like leave the job if it, if it didn't work out and go to another job. He never wanted to be strings attached. So he was basically just a, a hired missionary when it came with it came with carpentry tools. And that's the way he liked it. And his truck was was like Mary Poppins' bag. He always had every solution in there. In fact, about a month ago, he had his truck he hasn't used in 10 years, full of all the tools that he's ever used. It was just parked there, plus all the tools he put in it as a cabinet while it wasn't moving. And he gave it to one of the guys that he knew from the flea market. Guy Peter, sweet guy, came. The truck hadn't run in 10 years and he came with a tow truck and took it. But my dad spent the days emptying it out. And he's like, You got to get over here. There's so much stuff that you could use that's been in my truck for 10 years. He's so, he was so excited to. And when I went out there, he never did show it to me. We just went out to lunch. And I was like, He's like, Look, I go, Dad, let's just spend time together having lunch. He's going to sit there and hand me 700 things I already have. So I'm glad we went to lunch and we didn't sift through the tools. So everything seemed to happen in time. We got rid of all the, the junk, we get rid of that truck, you know, and now here we are. So. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't want to cut you off. Yeah. If you have anything else to. No, no, to no. That's about. it. That's but it. I'm also, sure. Like I said, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm really gonna do something fun with that video that I'm. That's yeah. developing in my mind. That's gonna be a nice video. I'll talk more about it then. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. Well, big thanks to uh, our Patreon supporters who mm -hmm. make make this possible, make it possible for us to just talk about life and, and do the things, you know, talk about the things that we do all the time and stuff, and uh, really grateful for them. Especially Corey Ward, Albers Woodworks, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, Chad's Custom Creations, Rich at Lowen Designs, Odin Leather Goods, Sean Beckner, Scott at Dad It Yourself DIY, 
the new Janky Workshop, Warren Works, Michael Menegin, the Web Ranch Specialties, and Crabtree Creative. They're above and beyond top supporter. Thank you guys. They, you know, they they really chip in. So many but nice also, messages too. Also, people like uh, Jay Lynn. Thank you, Jay. Is yeah. Yes, I'm sure you've gotten. I hope you've gotten a lot of great. Messages a lot, from a lot. I mean, it's that it's comments galore. You know what's amazing too is how many people I actually know. Hmm. That I've actually met or had an interaction with. My, this, I got. I mean, you have a really gigantic personal circle. <laughs> it's like, it's not like, you know, you're no Ryan Reynolds who has, no. <laughs> has all these, like, everybody knows who you are at a big distance. You know a lot of people. I got 1,400 comments on that, that post where I showed some old pictures of my dad and some new pictures of him. 1,400 comments. It's got 11,000 likes, which is probably, I think that's the, probably the most. I think the only other one that has more likes, I think I got fourteen or 15,000 likes with a picture of me and Nick Offerman from 10 years ago. Mm. But that's just amazing. And and I'm trying to go through every, like when I have a minute, I go through and just hard and read every one of them. So every one of them will absolutely get read. If it hasn't been acknowledged yet, it will be acknowledged. So thank you, everybody. Mm. That's great. <clears throat> Well, uh, if you guys have anything to recommend, we can do that, or we can skip it this week. Uh, what did I have to recommend? Well, you know what? I'm going to recommend the video that I posted on Instagram, uh, and I'll give a little behind the scenes. So I bought this house in September of '04, and my dad's crazy cousin, Eddie, always had a, a campsite up here. But his campsite is in... Lake George, which is 100 miles past my house. So I'm 150 miles up from New York. That's 250 miles up from New York. But my dad didn't know any better. And he said, so now I bought the house in September of 04. Now it's October of 04. My dad said, hey, let's go hang out with Cousin Eddie since you're near him now. And so my dad scheduled him and Eddie met together. Eddie drove my dad up from Long Island because Eddie was living half down and half up. So together they went up to Eddie's campsite and I met them there. And we went to an all-day flea market or an all-day garage, like a weekend garage sale town, all-town garage sale in Warrensburg, New York. And when I got there, I was like, this is going to be a fun day because my father and Eddie were first cousins and best friends. And Eddie was a few years older than my dad, like I was saying. And so I, I said, let me bring my camera. So it was 19 years ago because it was the you know, it was a week, three weeks after I bought this house. And we went to, and when I got there, my dad was completely infatuated with Golden Corral. He had never been to a Golden Corral, <laughs> and he was just amazed with it, how much food was available, how cheap it was, <laughs> how much you can go up and eat as much as you want. And it, my sister said, dad was fat as a house. My dad lost weight since that video, but that was when he was very heavy. So it was 20 years ago, so he was he's 84 now, so he would have been 65 or 6, 64, somewhere in there. Which is unbelievable to me that because he still looks much older to me than he actually was in that, but that's because he's my dad. So I'm going to give you guys the video that I made 14 years ago of my dad and Eddie talking about Golden Corral. Mm. I never ever did show any of the flea market stuff in the video, which I did film. It's just them just obsessing about Golden Corral. <laughs> it's just, it's hilarious, and the two of them talking. About, <laughs> it's only a few minutes long, so it's it's the name of the video is Dad and Eddie go to Golden Corral, and I posted it way before I started doing YouTube on a regular basis. So it's in one of my older videos. That's like not titled, you know, as a maker video in any way. 
So I'll send you the link to that. That's that's amazing. I've only been to a Golden Corral once, maybe 15 years ago, and it was later in the day, and it was already just destroyed, and it was uh, <laughs> it was disgusting. But yeah, of course, I probably went up and got three or four plates full. Um, my dad and I used to go to Ponderosa Steakhouse, and oh, we used to go there man, too. Those little time. chicken drummies were so good. We always got ribeye, and I miss Ponderosa. I know there's still some around, but all the ones in my area have closed. The closest one is now in Detroit. And I've joked about making the trip up to Detroit just to go by myself and, and get a ribeye and eat some crappy mashed potatoes. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, so going to Ponderosa with my dad is, is uh, uh, some, some vivid memories. So my pick this week is a channel called Workshop Companion. I don't watch a lot of woodworking videos anymore, but this one, this channel, uh, you can just tell this guy knows a lot of stuff. He's been around. He's uh, his videos are there's a, there's so many good tips in his videos, and they're not like redone YouTube videos or things I've read like. I don't know how he knows some of the things that he knows and I'm just kind of blown away and I'm, uh, it's just, it's just, it's just really good channel. He's got great tips. You can tell he's, he's really intelligent when it comes to woodworking and uh, yeah, workshop companion. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, mine is, uh, I don't know. It's a documentary that we just started watching last night. So I'm one episode in, on David Beckham. It's just called Beckham. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's not somebody I really knew a whole lot about. I knew he was like a famous soccer player, but that's it. And watching the first episode, it's basically how he got started, where he came from. But And, it, and it's interesting. His story is interesting. But it's actually a really well-shot documentary. Tons of old footage, old being early nineties probably. Um, but just kind of behind the scenes stuff of when he was a kid and when his, he's married to one of the spice girls. And so when she was younger and her early, you know, how they met and all this type of stuff, but there's a lot of, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about it. There's a lot of shots where it's like, it's like the view that if you're watching the video, it's like the view that you're seeing right now where it's right centered on my face, big face fills up the entire screen and they're filming from the front of a person watching a video. And so they're filming this direct reaction, this like flat, not side view reaction to right, something. Right. And you can kind of just barely see an overlay on the screen of the thing that they're watching sometimes, but not always. And at first I didn't really understand what was going on because you just see this big face and they, they're kind of reacting and smiling. and But they do it in a way that, overlaps the description of what they're watching and it's their reaction to it. And I don't know, it's, I'd never seen it before. It's kind of neat, but it's a pretty good documentary so far. At least mm. the one episode I watched and he's, he's a far more interesting person than I would have expected. It's made by the documentary is made, made by uh, Fisher Stevens and who's an actor. Oh knows. really? Yeah. I, Cause Fisher Stevens was on Mark Marin a few months ago, a few weeks ago and he talked about it. I didn't know he's, that. he's a filmmaker now. Uh, among still doing character acting, pretty sure that's who it was. Wow, yeah, he um, 
he's been in tons of stuff. Yeah. He was in Short Circuit. He was yeah, like yeah, the main he's, character yeah, in Short he's Circuit. He's been right? in a million things. Oh, wow. I rem- I mostly remember him from Hackers. He was mm-hmm. the bad guy in Hackers, but looking at it now, wow, that's crazy. I didn't know that was him. Yeah. Neat. Well, anyway, I, I enjoyed it, or have, am enjoying it, so hopefully it doesn't get bad in episode two. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Jimmy, thank, thank you, you for sharing. Thank and, you for listening, uh, and thank you for all the heartfelt messages from so many of you. Seems like all of you, so thank you. It's really, it really awesome. shows how awesome this community is. All, just all the comments and that you got on your yeah. on your Instagram. It's just, it's an amazing. So community. sweet. Also, I, I want to. We've been praying for you and your family as a, as a family. And it was really cool. Sunday after we got home from church, um, my youngest, who's ten, almost eleven, he was like, uh, "My whole my whole group today prayed for Jimmy and his family at Aww. church, just that they would feel peace." <laughs> Making me cry, Bob. Thank you. Jenny sent me a nice note, so thank mm. you, Jenny. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Anyway. <laughs> Make me cry too. It's <laughs> all right. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank we'll see you, you next week. <laughs> soft, soft after show opening. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>